Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. Luke chapter 2. Welcome to Canaanbaum Podcast, a podcast designed to offer the Christian rest during life's journey. Featuring music and devotional segments supporting the teaching of the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, the Wells. My name is Tom. I'm serving as pastor at Rock of Ages Lutheran Church in Payson, Arizona. Glad to be serving as your host for this episode. After a lengthy break, we're glad to be offering these podcast episodes once again. Thanks to all of our artists and contributors. This is episode number 160. Since we're in the Christmas season, we'll begin by offering a song by the Lutheran Cayley Orchestra, the Wexford Carol. You are the peace of all things calm. You are the place to hide from harm. You are the light that shines in dark. You are the heart's eternal spark. You are the door that's open wide. You are the guest who waits inside. You are the stranger at the door. You are the calling of the poor. You are my Lord, and with me still. You are my love. Keep me from ill. You are the light, the truth, the way. You are my Savior this very day. Celtic Prayer, 1st Millennium A.D.
Up next, to tell the story, shared by Pastor Luke Italiano. The first day David was missing, Saul celebrated anyway. It was a new moon festival. It was meant to be a celebration. All his household gathered together. Perhaps David had some excuse. Perhaps something happened. It was fine. Saul distracted himself by pounding the butt of his spear against the ground, calling the servants to bring more food, more wine. But then the second day started, and David was still missing. And now Saul was concerned. What was the son of Jesse up to? What was this man who had killed Goliath? What was he doing? Was he missing because he was starting some trouble? Was he missing because he was moving in on the throne? Saul summoned his son Jonathan, David's closest friend. If anyone knew where David was, the crown prince would know. The one who would follow Saul as king. As long as this upstart shepherd from Bethlehem, this David, didn't take the throne by force. Saul asked, Why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? And Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go! because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town, and my brothers ordered me to be there. If I found favor in your eyes, let me get away to see my brothers. That's why he hasn't come to the king's table. Jonathan looked up at his father and waited for the reaction. At first, Saul leaned back on his throne. He stroked his graying beard. His eyes grew darker and darker until finally his anger flared and he shouted at his son, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman! Don't I know you've sided with the son of Jesse to your shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must die! Yes, as long as David lives, Jonathan will never take the throne. Jonathan doesn't care? He'll take the shame. He'll lose the respect of his father. He'll stand up for his friend. Why should he be put to death? What's he done? And Saul took up the mark of his office, the royal spear, and he flung it at his son, intending to pin him to the wall, intending to murder his own son for having the audacity to stand up for that good-for-nothing David. A gasp went up from around the table. Jonathan spun away, felt the shaft of the spear pass him, heard it clatter to the ground. He glared at his father. 
they held each other's gaze for a long moment. The dining hall was silent. Jonathan stalked away, refusing to eat anything else, refusing to share a table with the father who would so wrong his friend David. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field and performed the prearranged signal. And David knew. Yes. Saul was out to kill him. But Jonathan couldn't say goodbye like that. He dismissed his servant and ran to his friend. They held each other as they wept. The crown prince and the one God had chosen to be king. They were being torn apart, these two that were closer than brothers. And Jonathan looked into David's face and he said, Go in peace. We sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. And then, tears in his eyes, David left, and Jonathan went back to town, back to his father. As far as we know, these two never saw each other again, but such friendship is not easily forgotten. Years later, when Jonathan and Saul were both dead, when David was king, David found that Jonathan had a son, Mephibosheth. It was the height of folly to bring in this heir of the previous dynasty, to welcome him in. And yet, David summoned the son of his friend to stay with him in the palace. And all the rest of the days, David looked after the son of his dearest friend. Greatness has brothers. David had Jonathan. My brothers and sisters. It would be so good to have a friend like that, wouldn't it? So good to have a friend who would sacrifice honor, or possibly even his life for you. You have a friend like that, and so much better. His name is Jesus. He stood between you and the righteous anger of his father, and he took the punishment you earned so that you could have life. And this story is true. John 15, verse 12. Love each other as I have loved you. What if you clearly spelled out just what you meant by, I love you, honey? What would come to light? What would have to come with it? Would there be a disclaimer? Maybe something like, Find print, disclaimer for my love. I'll be there for you always. Just don't ask me to be there for you. If you can check yes to any of the following. You want me to do something during my time. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I have any excuse that might make it difficult to give you my love right now. I didn't get enough of my fix with my online addiction. 
YouTube, Facebook, some weird online hobby or blog. Or, you didn't love me enough first. Or, you lost your chance for my love when you said something or did something that upset me. I can't forget and let go. I'm not telling you why. Just know I'm giving you the silent treatment because I'm upset. You could probably find your limit to love. No one likes to talk about those limits. But imagine if you did. It would reveal just how shallow human love really gets, even between the close bond of a husband and wife, even between the closest bond of closest friends. Jesus says, just as I have loved you. We hide our limits in shame. Jesus had no limit to conceal. Thank God his love exceeds our limits. His limit, I will love you, and there's nothing that will empty my love for you. No disclaimers, no limit, no end. That is the love of a Christian husband and wife. That's the love they have from Jesus. With it, their love for each other grows boundlessly. What do you do when you feel like love one another is a command that leaves you tired and empty? Look not just to the command of Jesus, look also to the great love behind it. That means he loved you and your spouse if you're married. That means he gave you, and still continues to give you, grace upon grace. Rejoice in that boundless love. It's free, limitless, unexpected, and constant love. He loves you even when your love fails. Meditate on his boundless, limitless love. You'll have more than enough to overflow into the lap of those whom you love. You and I have an undying love from the one who died to give it. Let's bring that together. Love is doing. It takes action. Jesus, Jesus's love led him to act. He didn't hold anything back. I might tell myself, the dishes can wait. That's okay when you're single. When you're single, you can wallow your own in your own filth, and eventually you'll get around to cleaning that plate covered with the Delicious dish you struggled to pull together by dragging it from the freezer and tossing it in the microwave. But when I eat the extraordinary meal which my wife took hours to complete and our family devoured in three minutes, or maybe refused to touch because they were under four years old, what happens? The meal's done, but the work is not. Somebody must continue. Someone is going to have to clear, clean, put away what is left. The dishes can wait is seldom a mutual feeling in our household. So when does love act? Do I only clean when I'm nagged? Or when I actually feel like it? Sometimes. My love fails to love as Jesus has loved me. Because my love is limited, not freely given, and sometimes withheld. But this, of course, goes beyond the kitchen to every aspect of life. I can see an incredible failure on my part to love my wife, my children, and others according to Jesus' command. My love runs its course when I check off the love disclaimer, the things I listed above. Juggling my time and pouring out my love for my wife and children makes me feel like I'm at my limit. Why must I keep on giving? Each day I must ponder again how he loved me. Him whose love comes freely and whose forgiveness abounds, I must live in his love also, do you sometimes play the game of, I do more than you, when talking to those you love? You can't win that game. The Lord has already won it. He loved you more than you could ever love someone else. 
Focus on that and start with your own failures, not comparing yourself to the love of others. Compare yourself to his love. Try running these questions past your, yourself and those you love. You'll be surprised at the response. One, what things are there which you feel I appear to love more than you? Or two, tell me when you need me the most, when I need to show you more love, regardless of what it costs. Finally, speak to God. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us for the times when we selfishly put limits or conditions on our love. Thank you for your love in Jesus. Let us show that type of love in our lives, starting with those we love around us. Peace and love in Christ. This next song is shared by Tracy Fedke, The First Noel. Upside Down Savior. The Lord looks at the heart based off of 1 Samuel 16. Hi, it's Pastor Nathan Nass with a short message from God's Word. Today's devotion is called The Lord Looks at the Heart. We human beings have a big problem. We always look at people's outward appearance. In fact, we often use what we see with our eyes to make sudden judgments about others. We make assumptions based on the color of someone's skin or the language they speak or the clothes they wear or the kind of car they drive. And usually our assumption goes like this, I'm better than them. Don't you think you have that problem? God says you do. People look at the outward appearance. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. So it's good to be reminded that God is not like us at all. That full verse says it like this, The Lord does not look at the things people look at, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In a nation that struggles with race, 
God doesn't judge anyone by the color of their skin. In a nation in which the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, God doesn't judge anyone by the clothes they wear, the car they drive, or the place they live. That's what we shallow human beings do. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. But that doesn't mean what God sees is good. Actually, the fact that God looks at our hearts is bad news for every one of us. That means that God sees through the charade. He sees through the hypocrisy. He sees through all our attempts to look good on the outside. He sees the sin and the jealousy and the hate and the pride and the selfishness and the bitterness in every one of our hearts. There's something that every person of every tribe, nation, and race of people has in common. Sin. Corrupt, sinful hearts. How can we look down on someone else when our hearts are just as dirty, just as sinful? God sees them. And he still loves us. He still loves us. God sees exactly who we are, even the bad stuff we hide inside. And God still loves us. In fact, God so loved the world, the whole world, that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, to be our Savior. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's the blood of Jesus that purifies your heart and my heart and makes us clean and new and whole. No matter who you are, no matter what you look like, whoever believes in Jesus is saved. In fact, in heaven right now stands a crowd of Christians that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. As our nation reflects on its struggles with racism, may God give us repentant hearts that trust in Jesus' salvation and compassionate eyes that see the world the way that God sees us. All people are sinners whom Jesus died to save. As we're filled with God's forgiveness and grace each day, May we strive to share the message of Jesus with people from every nation, tribe, people, and language, that God may be glorified and his salvation spread to more hearts everywhere. Because the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We'll close with a song by the Branches Band. Carols is the name of the album. And the song, Once in Royal David City.
You have been listening to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode number 160, first shared in December of 2021. For more information and to learn about the artist, visit CanaanBoundPodcast.com. Thanks for joining us, and remember his promised rest. <laughs>